welcome back to Collateral Banter, episode 29. I'm your host, Danny T. This is a podcast on the rise of authoritarianism, collapse of liberal democracy, and late capitalism. I will talk about themes of authoritarianism around the world or issues regarding democracy, but on this episode, I've decided to talk a little bit about Robert Mueller report. Yes! Uh, last Friday, I recorded an episode. I decided not to publish it because it was essentially a rant for 20 minutes. I then realized I could sum up the rant in 30 seconds. So I will. I felt that there was no point to initiating impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump if 20 Republicans wouldn't support conviction. The evidence I cited for that is the Republicans are scared of Donald Trump. He's very popular with the base of Republican voters. And if they were to betray Donald Trump, they would be paying with their political lives. It'd get crushed in the next elections and Democrats would take over both the House and the Senate. Didn't make a lot of sense for Republicans to support removing Donald Trump unless the evidence was overwhelming and conclusively linked Donald Trump to Russia. Now, yeah, a case can be made for impeachment about obstruction of justice. Do I think the Democrats are going to do this? No, I don't. And by the way, the Democrats back in 2000 in Six, when they took over the Congress, the House of Representatives specifically, Nancy Pelosi was pushed by Democratic activists to impeach George W. Bush for lying about the Iraq war, for torture. I mean, so many, a list goes on and on. And Nancy Pelosi at that time refused to do it. I don't know what it will mean for the future if the Democrats refuse to impeach Donald Trump, but their goal is political expediency. This is how the leadership sees it. And I and I get it. I support it in, in some sense, right? This makes me think of Game of Thrones, and I, and I want to put it out here. Going back to season one, where Ned Stark realizes that Joffrey isn't the son of Robert Baratheon, but is of Jaime Lannister. And Ned, once Ned Stark knew that, he could have kept it quiet, played his cards at the right time, and got rid of the Lannisters. Instead, he decided to confront Cersei and tell her to leave. Go away. I know what happened. So he revealed his cards too early. And he tried to do the honorable thing. He did the right thing. He tried to uphold the rule of law. And what was the rule of law? If Robert Baratheon does not have a male heir, it goes to his brother, Stannis. So <laughs> Stannis had a rightful claim. Of course, Cersei didn't care about that. And we know what happened. So there are consequences either way if the Democrats go for impeachment or if they don't. But knowing how the Democrats acted back in 2006, I don't see them going for it. And I don't see why I have to go and spend hours and hours of research to claim that the Democrats need to favor impeachment. I just don't understand uh, what they would gain by doing impeachment. Here are the consequences if they do pass impeachment. A, Donald Trump will might become more powerful by becoming a martyr, a victim from the liberal establishment who tried to remove me from power, from made up, trumped up charges. Basically, he's already saying that, but if you say, hey, I was impeached on false charges, but I wasn't convicted because they know the evidence wasn't there, 
they did it because I'm a Republican. You can make a authoritarian like Trump even more powerful if you don't have the votes to remove him from power. This isn't like previous eras where you know the person has some dignity and shame and would be removed. Donald Trump has none of that. My other issue with impeachment is this. The American people are ultimately responsible for having Donald Trump in power. He won by the rules that existed in, in the Constitution by the Electoral College. And yet, if the Democrats hold up the rule of law, they run the huge risk of losing in 2020 to Donald Trump. What did they gain for upholding the rule of law? Because you would think that a party that would uphold the rule of law would be rewarded for it by the American public, by the voters. The voters would come out overwhelmingly in favor of the Democrats for upholding the rule of law. You would think that there would be a large number of people willing to go out there and vote and say this was the party that was willing to hold a president to account. Does anybody listening to this really believe that that will happen? No. So the consequences politically for a party for upholding the rule of law is potentially getting killed in an election, in a re-election that they basically must win. It's come down to you must win in November of 2020. And the ultimate problem is the American people elected this. I mean, the fact that they couldn't understand in 2016 what the hell they were voting for. They're getting exactly what they, what Donald Trump ran on and what they voted for. And in some ways, nobody should be surprised that he acts this way. I don't even want to count how many investigations are going on in his business dealings and his private life. There's so many. I should maybe do episodes on that. But there's so many criminal elements involved that this guy gets away with. Why? Because he's a billionaire, a white guy who who's willing to tell people whatever he thinks they want to hear. And it's worked so far, hasn't it? The Democrats go in and try to uphold the rule of law. All I think about is Ned Stark. And in case anybody listening hasn't seen Game of Thrones, it doesn't end well for Ned Stark. And he tried to uphold the rule of law and did the honorable thing. Sometimes the honorable thing is bad for politics. Again, I, I don't think there can be an overwhelming case to be made that Donald Trump needs to be removed from office. I think there is a case to be made. I don't think it's overwhelming. And because it's not overwhelming, the Republicans won't budge. Maybe a handful of them that want to win re-election in blue states would be willing to vote for it. But you're not going to get 20. I want to mention this. Bill Clinton's impeachment process made him more powerful because the Republicans were portrayed as having a vendetta against Bill Clinton. They wanted to remove him from office. It was about consensual sex he had with an intern. This is about upholding the rule of law. You think the Democrats wouldn't get punished by this? I don't even know if they have enough votes in the House. You would think a lot of Democrats elected in red districts or purple districts might not vote for it. And I think the last time I, the last time I saw, there were at least 37 Democrats. So if they all voted against impeachment, I think that'd be enough. I'd be pretty close. And no Republicans would support it. So, so I don't think impeachment has even the votes in the House. And I'm sure Nancy Pelosi could peel off a couple more votes uh, against impeachment. I'm sure she would block any type of vote because ultimately the Democrats need to win. And that's all she cares about. I just don't see this working well for the Democrats. I don't think impeachment makes a lot of sense.
politically. Is it the right thing to do? Yes, of course it is. You can go out and impeach him. But what's the point? What's the advantage to doing that politically? It's a terrifying part. But I think if they do impeachment, the chances of him winning re-election go up. So that's what Nancy Pelosi, it's always a political scheme. It's always not upholding the rule of law. But you know what? The Democrats should have upheld it back in, against George W. Bush and failed. I mean, there was some blatant, I mean, if there was going to be an impeachment, it should have been of him. And even Donald Trump himself, and I will try to play the clip. If I find the clip, I'm going to play it right here. All the way until Election Day in November, we're teaming up with PolitiFact, the nation's leading political fact-checking group, holding politicians accountable for the things they say on the campaign trail and in their TV ads. With his sights set on South Carolina, Republican frontrunner Donald Trump finds himself in the crosshairs of his own party this week. First, in a web ad using a CNN interview in 2008. Well, I think Bush is probably the worst president in the history of the United States. It just seemed like she was going to really look to impeach Bush and get him out of office, which personally I think would have been a wonderful thing. The ad's claims getting lots of talk in South Carolina, an area known as Bush country. At PolitiFact, we do this a lot, and what we find is sometimes those clips are kind of uh, spliced together to make things sound like that they aren't really what they sound like. Uh, But in this case, he said it. It's fascinating to see politics in America today and how you sometimes have to not uphold the rule of law, even though it's one of the most important parts of democracy. Keep fighting politically, even as a party just keeps violating. The problem is if you, if you don't uphold the rule of laws, I think the Democrats will not do, they will not impeach. Then at what point do you uphold the rule of law if the Republican Party will never support impeachment? Because it's unlikely we're ever going to see 67 Democratic senators elected. What would it take for an impeachment process to begin? Because if we know that whoever gets elected president in the future, that there will never be enough votes to remove him from office, then it, it can be an absolute criminal that gets elected and does whatever they want and it won't get impeached, so it doesn't matter. And that's sort of what we have today. And nobody's realized that as the priorities break down, right, you've seen that number of people who are registered Democrats and Republicans have been falling now for years. As these parties shrink in size and support in the overall public, it's harder and harder to create a consensus to remove somebody from power, especially in impeachment, which is a very painful, long, drawn-out process. I've always favored parliamentary system. Essentially, if you don't have a majority support in the House of Representatives, you shouldn't have a government. That's the way I see it. If Trump were prime minister of the United States because the House of Representatives was majority Republican, that's the system America should adopt. We should abolish this system of the presidency and create a parliamentary democracy. It's not great. It's not perfect. There's so many problems with it, but I think they're better than having the current democracy that we have today. I just think it's terrible. I don't think it works. I don't think it's the right political system to have in this day and age. And truthfully, waiting four years for a president just it doesn't work out. I, 
I just in another issue that I've been wanting to discuss for a while. It is the first time on TV that I saw people countering the narrative of the political elites in the United States. And I saw this debate in 1998 on CNN, and Bill Clinton was trying to sell his Iraq war policy. And so he decided to hold a, a forum, a public forum about the Iraq war and trying to convince the American public of why America needed to be tough against Iraq and Saddam Hussein, build up public support for the weapons inspectors going in. And I just want to play a couple clips, and I'm going to do it right now, about questions they received in a public forum at Ohio State University. It's so interesting to see their reactions to the questions they got, because the vast majority of questions were very supportive of Clinton and the Iraq policy, and they were essentially saying, whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. But the other side of, of the people who were attending decided to just attack the foreign policy, call out the hypocrisy of U.S. foreign policy, supporting other dictators while opposing Iraq and Saddam Hussein, giving weapons to other dictators that are friendly, but somehow saying Saddam can't have them, and talking about the, the impact of the sanctions. And so, again, on the stage, they had William Perry, Secretary of Defense, Madeleine Albright, Secretary of State, and Sandy Berger, National Security Advisor, I believe. They got these questions. Just listen to them a little bit. All right, we have a questioner here, gentleman in the white shirt. Go ahead. Yes, I have a question for Secretary Albright. Why bomb Iraq when other countries have committed similar violations? Turkey, for example. Can I finish? For example, Turkey has bombed Kurdish citizens. Saudi Arabia has tortured political and religious dissidents. Why does the U.S. apply different standards of justice to these countries? say that uh, when there are problems such as you have described, we point them out and make very clear our opposition to them. But there is no one that has done to his people or to his neighbors what Saddam Hussein has done or what he is thinking about doing. Uh, I am very... About Indonesia. Well, you've turned my microphone show That Saddam Hussein has produced uh, weapons of mass destruction, which he's clearly not collecting for his own personal uh, pleasure, but in order to use, and therefore he is qualitatively and quantitatively different from every brutal dictator that has appeared recently. And we are very concerned about him specifically and what his plans might be. You have a Thank you. What? My microphone is off. There we are. What do you have to say about dictators of countries like Indonesia, who we sell weapons to, yet they are slaughtering people in East Timor? What do you have to say about Israel, who is slaughtering Palestinians, who impose martial law? What do you have to say about that? Those are our allies. Why do we sell weapons to these countries? Why do we support them? Why do we bomb Iraq when it commits similar problems? examples of things that are not right in this world and the United States is trying I uh, really am surprised that people feel that it is necessary to defend the rights of Saddam Hussein when what we ought to be thinking about is how to make sure that he does not use weapons of mass destruction 
I'd like to. Who are like shouting? To just a moment. I'm not defending them in the least. What I am saying is that there needs to be consistent application of U.S. foreign policy. We cannot support people who are committing the same violations because they are political allies. That is not acceptable. We cannot via violate U.N. resolutions when it is convenient to us. We You're not, not answering my question, answer. Madam Albright. what American foreign policy is, what we have said exactly about the cases that you have mentioned. Every one of them have been pointed out, every one of them we have clearly stated our policy on, and if you would like, as a former professor, I would be delighted to spend 50 minutes with you describing exactly what we are doing on those subjects. Secretary. Secretary Albright had already said she was willing to meet with some of you after the forum. Let's respect that. The more time you take shouting, the more time you take away from people who have questions. Secretary, I do have a brief follow-up, and that is on this point. There are many countries that have these biological and chemical weapons, six countries in the Middle East alone. You've stated why Saddam Hussein should be singled out, but it is puzzling to people to wonder why it's okay for these other countries to have biological and chemical weapons, but not. Do you want to let him speak? Yeah. All right. Why don't you ask your question, please. Okay. First of all, I want to apologize for disrupting earlier. The reason I did was I was told by this person here that I would not be allowed to speak. This is not an open forum. It is a media event staged by CNN. We should, if, this, if this were a town meeting, if this were, if this were a school board meeting or some other town meeting in a democracy, people would be allowed to make statements as well as ask questions. How can these people sleep at night? Because we draw, we are not going to be able to stop Saddam Hussein. We are not going to be able to eliminate his weapons of mass destruction, all of them. President Clinton admitted it. All he wants to do, Clinton said, was send a message to Saddam Hussein. If he wants to send a message, we, the people of Columbus and Central Ohio and all over America, will not send messages with the blood of Iraqi men, women, and children. If we want to deal with Saddam, we deal with Saddam. Okay, when that guy finished asking Madeleine Albright questions, the camera, while well, everybody's clapping, the camera zooms in to Madeleine Albright, and she has this stunned look on her face, confused, uncertain of what to say, and it just looked really, really bad. She didn't know how to respond, and it's a deer in the headlights look. It was a one and done. You do this once, and you stop. You never try again, and they never did, but I can't imagine. So that was done in 1998. I can't imagine that now happening because the country is so polarized and divided that I can only imagine the type of questions Mike Pompeo would get live on TV. It would be, it would make for an interesting debate, public television. A lot of people would be watching it, but I'm not sure what the point, what the advantage is for the administration to do that. Something I, I was remembering, for some reason, I was looking over some folders that I have, and I remember printing out the transcripts of this public forum at Ohio State University during the Clinton administration. And there are very few clips that show it. I only found two that were very critical of the 
Clinton administration and U.S. foreign policy in general. And those are the only ones I could find online. I don't know if that's the algorithms just saying, oh, it's me. And so we'll send those to Dan. But I was trying to find the full clip of it because it was an interesting conversation. And there's one other issue that I thought was really important in hearing and reading the transcripts of this public forum was that as much as I think about Iraq today and you think about the debacle of the George Bush administration in the decision to invade Iraq, the lies about weapons of mass destruction, manipulation of the evidence, which is shown didn't exist the way the administration claimed it did. And people went out to war. Hundreds of thousands of Iraqis died. Thousands of U.S. soldiers died. The country spent $6 trillion. But there's a history prior to George W. Bush that I've been fascinated about. That's why I bring this up, because... The Iraq war that George Bush inherited was in Iraq already largely devastated by sanctions by the Clinton administration, which bombed Iraq at least two or three times. So there were there were Operation Desert Fox. People don't remember that. And I think sometimes that's that's why I do this podcast, is to try to remember these things, right? The 90s, the late 90s was such an interesting period in political history because it was a period unlike the previous decades, right? The Soviet Union collapses. American dominance around the world is almost unchallenged. And here is a country like Iraq with a dictator that the U.S. largely supported because it didn't like Iran. And yet, America then decides to, I don't know, make an example of, of Iraq to the world. It was devastating. And the thing is, the sanctions can always be circumvented when the elites in Iraq wanted it to be. The elites in Iraq are rarely harmed by the sanctions. And the sanctions, devastatingly brutal on the Iraqi people, that A, never elected Saddam Hussein, and B, were his victims, oftentimes. And I want to play another clip here in this episode. I want you to listen to this exchange. This is Leslie Stahl interviewing Madeleine Albright. Remember her? Secretary of State under Bill Clinton. She was at that town hall. Here is a question that Leslie Stahl asked Madeleine Albright about the sanctions on Iraq. We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when in Hiroshima. And... and you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. Okay, 500,000 children killed, malnourished in Iraq. And her answer was, was it worth it? And she says, well, we think it is. So it is in many ways to stop the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. The United States government signed a law, Bill Clinton signed a law to make it the official policy to have regime change in Iraq. So many times when I, I am close to I'm close to doing an episode just on George W. Bush, because I've already done one on Barack Obama, but I have to almost in some ways link George W. Bush to President Bill Clinton because the weapons of mass destruction, the removal of Saddam Hussein from power, those were continuations from a previous government that George W. Bush inherited. I think that those failures of previous years have cost America dearly today. Spending in Iraq and Afghanistan, I know I've already said this once, but it's approaching four or five trillion dollars. Other figures for show six trillion. That's when you include all the medical costs, 
all the costs that the war will add up to. And here's the crazy part. In 10 or 20 years, will we have another Iraq-like invasion and spend another six, ten trillion dollars? It just it can't, it's not a sustainable economic policy to spend trillions of dollars. And and if you think about it, you're spending trillions of dollars and you're harming other people. You're harming your own national security. You're not gaining anything from having those wars. You're not gaining anything at all. You're, you're harming yourself and spending trillions of dollars. And that's using a very narrow lens. I'm not making any moral claims about this. I'm saying this from a purely political perspective. And I think that's the, that's the travesty of it all is that, hey, I'm I want to spend six trillion on these wars and we're not even sure what we're what's going to be achieved by it i don't know what it's gained by having these wars what's the point what's the matter why is the united states still in iraq and afghanistan and now it wants to fight a perpetual war there's at least it's in seven countries today the truth is it's it's in a lot more countries it could make up a number it's uh more than seven but less than what is it? 210 countries. So somewhere between seven and 210. What does this all say? Who knows really where this is going to end, but you have an aging population. You have trillions of dollars of debt racked up. The infrastructure is crumbling. There's now talk in the United States of starting a war or starting a feud in the Middle East again, and this time with Iran. And this is crazy. This is just madness. Something's going to change. Something's going to snap in the country. And I'm not saying this just to to be dramatic here, but if America starts another major war around the world, it's going to be trillions of dollars more. But the stability of the government is going to be in peril because Americans aren't going to want to fight this war. They're not going to want to expend the money for this war. We're going to incur more debt. And it's becoming just insane, this policy of where we are right now. It's, It's not sustainable on many levels ecological, economic, political. This has got to end. And these type of wars need to be put away. They need to be done with. That is where we're at. And that is Collateral Banter, episode 29. This one I will post and I will record another episode this week. So thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I included a little bit of Game of Thrones. I included some Mueller report. I will continue on, develop more episodes in the future. So hopefully you enjoyed it. You'll be hearing from us soon. Take care. Thank you.